Chapter 14 of Notes on the Broads and Rivers of Norfolk and Suffolk by Harry Britton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wroxham to Barton and Acle. Before we leave Wroxham, I ought to say something of the accommodation of the place, as, next to Alton, it is the centre most frequented by visitors. It should be noted that the proper name of the village, lying between the bridge and the railway station, is Hoveton St. John, and that Wroxham proper is on the west side of the river, although the station of the Great Eastern Railway is named after the latter place. Hoveton, or Hofton, as it is locally pronounced, is a great centre for Norwich fishermen, many of whom walk over on Sundays and spend the day in the most innocent of all recreative pursuits. A greater number still arrive by rail, and lucky is the man who gets a boat, especially if he has not taken the precaution to write beforehand. The great popularity the place enjoys is well illustrated by the crowded state of the railway station every holiday, when one can scarcely find standing room. There are two capital inns within three minutes' walk of the station, the King's Head, kept by Jimson, and the Horseshoes, by Whitaker. At the latter, great civility is always shown, and a capital stock of boats will be found yachts and sailing boats are also let by mr john loynes who has obtained prize medals for his craft which are specially built for our waters beside the accommodation i have mentioned and in addition to the roxham castle there are now several private houses where clean and comfortable lodgings can be obtained the fishing is free on the river but if the piscator wishes to try his hand on the broad, he must obtain a ticket, price half a crown, from Mr. C.J. Green of London Street, Norwich, who will be happy to give any information on fishing subjects and to supply the paraphernalia necessary for the practice of the gentle art. I hope that tourists who may be induced to visit Norfolk will not take French leave, to fish on the broads, nearly all of which are private. The riparian owners, as a rule, willingly grant permission, and I am quite sure there is a greater pleasure in obtaining the proprietor's order legitimately than in poaching on private water. I use the term poaching advisedly, as although there may be a great deal to say about the right of the public to follow the tide, every attempt to establish this has so far failed. It might, perhaps, have been desirable to give in this work some sort of list of fishing spots, or to have marked them on the sectional maps. On thinking the matter over, I have come to the conclusion to quote Artemis Ward, that it can't be did, as their name is simply legion. Information is, however, 
willingly given at each of the several stations on all points connected with the immediate neighbourhood and the capital reports in the fishing gazette and land and water from time to time will give a very fair idea of the best headquarters well johnny my boy we shall soon say good-bye to wroxham for the season i remarked as we both lay in our berths enjoying the last few minutes in bed a long-drawn sigh was the reply i received at first and then we talked of the events of the boating season which would all too soon be a thing of the past altogether it was voted to have been a very successful one but we both indulged in the hope that next year might be even more so our castle building was at last interrupted by george who had commenced preparations for an early start presently we heard the awning over the well flapping and as this sounded really like business we were soon on deck lending a hand the wind was blowing big guns that morning and although we reefed everything close george more than once declaimed against the unwisdom of getting under way in such a gale as we had however made up our minds the night previous to get to horning before breakfast we determined to make the attempt fortunately we made a clean start but soon found we had all our work cut out for us however we held on although the excitement was very great every now and again a squall caught us and the little yacht seemed as though it must capsize or some of our standing rigging carry away as we neared the entrance to roxham broad we almost decided to give it up the water was looking so choppy say the word said george who had charge of the tiller and i'll swing her into the wind afore anything happens what do you say johnny i vote we keep on and chance it right you are my boy we are sure of the boom this time anyway replied jack and so the order was given of course all these excited queries and equally excited replies occupied much less time than it takes to write and when too late to retract our decision we wished we had taken our man's advice just as we reached the dreaded spot a squall which had of course gained force in crossing the open waters of the lake struck us for a moment the yacht seemed to tremble and then was almost thrown on to her beam ends the water pouring over the plankways and into the well luckily we had taken the precaution to uncleat all the sheets or our trip would have come to a very hurried finish and a wet one to boot now have you had enough of it asked george anxiously but for the second time we decided to keep ahead just as we reached salus we were again caught in a squall and i must confess to feeling a little bit scared i was standing forward 
when presently and without a moment's warning the water was pouring all round me and i heard john yell there goes the jib my order to lie to was anticipated by george and in a very short space of time we were out of danger real danger it had undoubtedly been and i have to thank a strong pair of arms for enabling me to hold on to the rigging on looking round we ascertained that no casualty had occurred and that it was simply the jib-sheet running through the block that made john think something had happened to the sail from this point there was a free wind all the way to horning so we determined to make the mainsail snug and try with the jib alone comparatively tiny as was this spread of canvas we made rapid headway and reached the ferry without further incident breakfast over we set to work to put things a little bit in order as our morning sail had completely upset the interior arrangements of the yacht amongst other details we gave the cabin cushions a thorough cleaning these i may say are covered with crimson plush which while looking very nice has one drawback that of gathering lints we have found by experience that the best way to clear this off is to run them on clean grass and as there was a nice patch next door to the yacht we jack and i started racing up and down presently we heard a laugh and looking round found a bright pair of eyes watching us it appeared that the owner of the eyes in question had been amused by our antics for some little time and now inquired if she could help us this was of course quite out of the question but we kept up a literally running conversation until our labours ceased when we went up to the house for supplies liquid and otherwise i ought to have said before that the hostel known as horning ferry takes its name from the fact that a horse ferry is connected therewith this is really a huge pontoon worked by means of chains and capable of carrying even a wagon and horses across the stream i may say here that the attraction of this quiet retreat consists not only in its absolutely home-like character but in its central position on the bure making all the lakes easily accessible for day excursions i would particularly impress on any visitor that south walsham and ranworth broads are worth rowing ten times the distance to see the first mentioned lake is gained by a dyke which empties into the river just opposite st benedict's abbey and although a comparatively small sheet of water it is one of the most delightful of the broads ranworth too is very charming and the church which stands so boldly above makes a picture not soon forgotten the church it may be remarked contains a famous rood screen both of these broads are private 
but a quiet pull over their lovely extent is not generally objected to in the summer although fishing is strictly prohibited there are a number of other broads within easy distance of horning which we did not explore during our trip as they were so well known to us those who may wish to vary their stay with a country stroll should not omit to inspect woodbastic church which is really a model country church and well worthy of visit when we were again under sail the wind had gone down considerably and we enjoyed the lull after the storm immensely a very prominent object in this neighbourhood and one which stands out so boldly as to demand observation is horning church the river is of a very sinuous character in its vicinity so that one appears to almost sail round it adjoining the church is the vicarage and one cannot help thinking the occupier of such a charmingly situated residence has a very pleasant lot assigned to him by about eleven o'clock we reach the river ant the bure's second tributary and under protest from george turned up this narrow little stream about a mile from the mouth one's progress is arrested by ludham bridge so we had to lie to again it had been my intention to lower the mast and sail on but the wind happening to be contrary our man declared it would be no use attempting it as tacking was out of the question in such confined waters perhaps i was a little inclined to be persistent that morning so i teased george by telling him i had turned down by moonlight two or three years before he answered this with a grunt and a look of incredulity which suddenly changed to triumphant assertion as he declared his willingness to get the mast down at once now this sudden change of front looked suspicious so he asked what he was driving at only that you can't get through the bridge till low tide you don't mean to say yes i do mean to say that it's quite impossible come with me in the dinghy and i'll prove it said george so we rowed to the bridge and measured the height roughly with an oar returning again to the yacht we found it would be a very close thing for the tabernacle and much to george's delight we decided to give up the idea but to row or tow up in the dinghy as this would take us the best part of the day we provisioned the boat with material for luncheon and were about starting after locking up when a happy thought suddenly occurred to me borrowing the cabin key i dived inside for notepaper and pencil and a book for desk the governor looks like business this morning mr y said george as i made myself comfortable in the stern and commenced writing and indeed i felt like business as the sheets were rapidly filled with the occurrences of days before in this connection i might perhaps say 
that although i cannot claim to have a good memory generally yet the incidents of my yachting trips appear almost to be stereotyped on my brain so although my diary had fallen sadly into arrears i had no difficulty in committing to paper all that had happened although john more than once grumblingly asserted it would never be completed whilst i am at work with my papers a spirit of mischief appears to possess john who every now and again worries george with some antic or another until at last he takes refuge in flight making as his excuse the suggestion that we shall get on quicker by towing so for a time i am quite undisturbed and as i feel in form i am afraid it is rather slow work for my chum but at last i give it up for a bit of a rest the higher we get up the river the prettier it becomes and when we reach Ersted shoals a famous spot for pike and perch more especially the latter we are much struck with the pretty little church of st michael perhaps it owes something to its position but i confess the view selected by mr george christopher davies in his first series of photo etchings is a very special favourite of mine at some little distance from the church and on the opposite side of the river the hull of an old yacht has been converted to the uses of an eel set and as we pass by forms the subject of speculation as to when it was last under sail a very little distance from the shoals barton broad is gained and a beautiful lake it is covering three hundred acres in the centre of the broad is a little island perhaps half an acre in extent to this we rode and as it was declared a capital place for luncheon we stayed for nearly an hour the view from this point is very pretty and extensive and just then was enlivened by two yachts one a cutter the other a lateen the last name rig by the way used to be in common use on norfolk waters the enormous foresail permitted of the boats being sailed extremely close to the wind besides which they could be worked single-handed one very bad characteristic however led to their ultimate disuse this fault consisted in running completely under with a stiff stern breeze had i the time or space i could give many a yarn of the consequences of this ugly trick of theirs which a veteran latine sailor at stalham once told me the cutter i have mentioned was very skilfully managed by its one occupant and we were much interested in the evident practical knowledge he had of the different channels these are marked out by posts but to any one unacquainted with the broad appear as maze-like as possible when we started again in the dinghy for barton the wind had nearly died away and the effect of everything reflected on the surface of the lake was very beautiful 
once or twice i asked george to cease rowing so peaceful everything appeared and we felt sorry when we at last turned into the dyke leading to barton staith where of course the view was more confined i don't suppose the weekly half-holiday movement has extended to barton but if so i should guess saturday must be devoted to its observance anyway the only living soul we saw as we rode to the landing-place was a small boy on a wherry who was playing with a toy fishing-rod and who intently watched his float with all the gravity of a much older devotee of the gentle art further along we passed a boat-building yard where several wherries were lying in and out of the water but all these were entirely untenanted when we landed too we might have come to a village of the dead for all the evidences of life in the active sense that we could discover presently however a door opened and a healthy-looking lass appeared who seemed extremely astonished when we asked the time evidently she thought we were making fun of her but at last accepted the explanation that we had forgotten our watches twenty minutes to four she announced and we suddenly realized the fact that if we intended making acle we must lose no time in starting back so after thanking our fair informant we hurriedly embarked and soon the little dinghy was forging through the water at a very rapid rate when the first spurt was over and we were going more quietly we noticed perfect shoals of fish which darted in all directions on our approach i should say the fishing on barton broad is free in the summer time by courtesy of the owner and is easily gained from stalham a station on the eastern and midlands railway where boats can be hired and every accommodation found as we entered the river again i asked george to ease off just for a last peep at the broad of course he assented but warned us we must not stay long as we had all our work cut out so we started again but as a bend of the river shut out the view i could not help remarking to john that if visitors were not delighted with the scenery of our lakeland they must be difficult indeed to please the long row across the broad had evidently pumped george so i volunteered to go ashore with a tow-line and as i was quite fresh the labour was very slight as a matter of fact if quick passages are necessary i very much recommend this method especially if the tow-paths are good the distance from the broad to the mouth of the river is about four and a half miles and when half this distance had been covered john insisted on taking my place shortly after this change had been made we came up with three or four donkeys and george suggested to jack that he should try and harness one to the line i scarcely need say this was attempted forthwith 
but all efforts to carry the idea into execution proved unavailing as every time the boat came near enough for john to make a rush for the nearest donkey off they all started i must not forget to tell of an enormous number of starlings we saw just before we gained ludham for some minutes before we reached the yacht large detachments appeared to be arriving from all parts and making a common centre in a marsh a little to the north of the bridge as we came up to the spot we all three shouted at the tops of our voices and the result was worth all the exertion a great body of the birds rose with a wonderful rushing noise which sounded strange in the stillness prevailing around so vast was their number that they seemed to resemble a heavy cloud and altogether it was a sight well worth seeing in this connection i would especially direct the attention of visitors from london to the opportunity they have of making a study of the ornithology of the broad district of course i refer to the grand collection of wild birds at the natural history museum at south kensington to which lord walsingham has so liberally contributed and to whom i believe the happy thought of placing them apart owes its inception i was recently looking through the collection and was particularly struck with the beautifully lifelike manner in which the subjects were mounted on boarding the buttercup we lost no time in getting away as signs of twilight were showing whilst one took the quant another started on shaking the reefs out of and hoisting the sails but when we once again floated on the bure both the day and the wind were nearly spent as we slowly sailed past the abbey i may say that this is a very favourite fishing ground and any day in the season half a dozen or more fishing parties will be found located here and good takes are often reported somehow as we draw on to our resting place night appears to close around more quickly than usual and presently we see on our left the pale light of the crescent moon it is the first time we have seen it therefore we make much ceremony of turning our money i am afraid i must not attribute to this cause the fact that almost immediately after a nice little breeze sprang up but certain it is that such was the case as we passed thurn mouth the old eel-setter wished us a cheery good night as i have mentioned these eel-sets before in the course of our wanderings it may not be out of place to say something about them many a time as one sails along in the early evening on our waterways these primitive noah's ark like structures which during the day have appeared quite deserted will be found to be occupied and as the yacht drifts past the eel-setter salutes although it may not perhaps be noticed by the unobservant tourist yet the eel-catcher has not emerged from his hut for the sole purpose of speaking 
the wherry or yacht the fact is his nets demand unceasing attention or they would soon be destroyed they consist of a wall of fine mesh net stretched quite across the river fastened by ropes to stakes on either bank the bottom being kept down by means of lead sinkers and the upper line supported by cork floats as the streams are navigable the net has to be sunk to the bottom on the approach of a wherry this is done by means of three lines attached to the top line and led through blocks fixed to stakes at the bottom of the water to the eel-setter's hut on the shore by hauling on these lines the net is sunk to the bottom and the craft passes over without injuring the nets after which it is raised to the surface again in this long wall of net are three or four openings to which purse nets about eighteen feet long stretched on hoops like bow nets are attached the far end being closed these pods as they are called are extended downstream and fastened to stakes in the river bottom their positions being marked by floats the eel sets are worked at night during the autumn months and when the fish are running to the sea therefore of course only while the water is ebbing i have quite lately had a long chat with the proprietor of the eel set at thurne and he was good enough to give me some very interesting details of his particular set which has four pods he informed me that eels up to seven pounds in weight had been captured but that it was a very rare thing for any other fish to be caught. End of chapter 14